we very recently did an entire Rhythm Encounter episode on Phoenix Wright. Oh, the nice. Ace Attorney series. And then, like, I think, like, a couple of weeks after we published that episode, like, you did that whole analysis on the trial oh, sequence for all the games. And I was just like, <laughs> your thing's better. So <laughs> much. <laughs> no. So much, so much more fun. Welcome to episode 85 of Rhythm Encounter, the RPG fan music podcast. Um, I'm hosting today. I'm Hilary Andriff. Very excited to be here um, because today we are talking about music theory with the creator of the popular YouTube channel, 8-Bit Music Theory. So welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. We're really excited to pick your brain about analyzing music and lots of other things. So can't wait to get started. And also joining me is... Pat Gann. Hey, everybody. One of our resident music experts. Uh, so how's everyone doing today? Doing good. It's a beautiful day in my neighborhood of Pittsburgh. It's a nice day here, too. It is nice. It's it's about time we have a nice day. <laughs> so just so everyone listening knows, uh, the host of 8-Bit Music Theory, you go by the name 8-Bit online. That's like your handle. Yes? Yes. I am 8-Bit. <laughs> Mr. First, 8-Bit to you. No, just oh, excuse me. <laughs> Professor 8-Bit. Yeah. Can we just keep adding titles as the episode goes on? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Dr. Professor Mr. 8-Bit. Dr. Professor Mr. Maestro 8-Bit. Okay. His Royal Highness and Eminence. <laughs> yeah. High Priest of Music. Well, very excited again. So the way this is going to go, uh, we have an exciting announcement to start off with, uh, which is about an upcoming album. So we'll go into that first. And then we're going to have a little primer on musical vocabulary. Um, because here on Rhythm, something that we often do is we talk about different aspects of the tracks that we listen to and why we chose them for the episode theme that we've selected. Um, so we're excited to take this opportunity to use some of 8Bits of videos to kind of break down some of the terminology and help us all analyze music. Uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit about Apis creative process. Uh, and then we have a fun little segment where we're going to play some music and put him on the spot Ooh, <laughs> and the make seat. some comments. <laughs> <laughs> Live analysis. Live yep. analysis. Amazing. A music so. theory pop quiz. <laughs> <laughs> but don't worry. I've been you, out of school you'll, you'll a, a while. I'm, I'm rusty. So. <laughs> well, con- considering who's grading you, I think you get an A no matter what. <laughs> we're bad teachers. <laughs> well good awesome all right so yeah just starting off we did say upcoming for for us in this moment it's upcoming but for you the listener by the time we've yes. gotten this podcast out we're pretty sure the album will also be out um back in april but you posted a little teaser video on your youtube page and i imagine your your patreon followers probably knew more about it that you're that you are making your debut album is that right that's right. My my first foray into actually putting out music on the internet. It's pretty exciting. Cool. So tell us about it. What What's the album? What's the name? What are you doing? Oh, well, the name is Let's Play. And it's uh, the concept of the album is uh, growing up, I'm of the age where, where as a kid, my first big console I got into was the GameCube. And so I have a, a lot of nostalgia for Nintendo, you know, 
classic Game- GameCube games, and a lot of that music is still my favorite video game music. And um, I'm also a very big fan of jazz fusion, and especially the kind of 80s Japanese jazz fusion that actually was a big inspiration on early Japanese game composers like Koji Kondo and 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 the like. Um, and so I had this idea of oh, I want to do an album of video game music, kind of arranged in this this uh, 80s Japanese jazz fusion kind of style. And so I have been kind of chipping away. I made these arrangements that uh, that I made for the album like a couple of years ago now probably and then just sat on them and kind of thought oh it was fun to make those arrangements i bet you i'll never do anything with them <laughs> then uh then uh slowly slowly you know different things kind of came together where i realized oh my maybe i could get to uh, get this actually recorded oh you know so uh i uh re-edited the arrangements over and over and over again until i thought they were good enough and i got just the best local winnipeg jazz musicians i could i could find into a room and and we all recorded live these arrangements and banged them out a whole album in three days and uh and and it's it's pretty cool i'm very happy with how it turned out um the other guys on the album just like crushed it absolutely destroyed so it's super fun for me to listen to them uh improvising on on my arrangements and stuff and there's there's all the bangers that you would expect from a GameCube themed album. There's Rainbow Road from Double Dash. There's uh, Delfino Plaza from Super Mario Sunshine. There's uh, lots of other tunes, <laughs> lots of other great tunes that I'm sure you'll love. So everyone, go uh, listen to it. <laughs> I have a, a million questions about it. I, my mm. first question is: Do you know if any of the musicians that work with you on it have previous experience with? um recording for video game music whether it's a arranged album or like source composition for a game no not that i know of um they're they're kind of all gigging jazz musicians and 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 teachers too um, nice nice so they, it was kind of funny because being in the video game music world you know you go to the conventions and stuff and you're online and you it's very much like a, a tight community and and there's a lot that people kind of take for granted and it's kind of funny talking to musicians outside of that world where it's like oh video game music oh that's i guess video games do have music don't they oh yeah it's <laughs> like oh yeah you really are not aware of this but uh you know but uh, they were very interested they said oh that's a cool idea and and uh it was funny, a couple of the tunes, none of them were huge gamers, but a couple of the tunes, they were like, oh, I remember, I did play this Mario Kart. I remember this from Mario Kart. Yeah, 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 you know, they got super yeah. into it, and uh, yeah, it was very fun. Who can forget Rainbow Road? You hear it once, oh, yeah. right. it's with you for life. It's in there, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're never getting rid of it. And since it's Rainbow Road, exactly, you're going to have some memories associated with it, too. <laughs> yeah. Joyous and frustrating. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, so, question... Um, which Metroid Prime music did you arrange? And if it's not Fendrana, why is it not Fendrana? (laughs) (laughs) So I knew I wanted to do something for Metroid Prime. Um, And listening through the soundtrack, you know, so much of it is atmospheric, you know, lots of just synth pads and, and cool sounds that doesn't necessarily translate easily to like, you know, a band with a rhythm section where you're trying to play fun grooves and cool melodies. So I was trying to think of how to make it work. And uh, that arrangement I did, uh, it was of, it's not a Fendrana, but it was of the uh, crashed ship frigate Orpheon, um, which is uh, when you're underwater. I 
I'm I'm pretty sure now I'm second guess myself, but it's the big ship that crashes underwater. Yep. And so it's it's got a it's not it's again super atmospheric. The kind of the melody, quote unquote, is just this like like really slow um just two notes uh but so i kind of like stretched that out into this really slow groove and then i found a way to metrically modulate from this really slow 16th note groove to a kind of afro-cuban-y 6-8 thing and so that i uh, there's a connection of like yeah the whole thing's just kind of one chord synth pad through the whole song originally and so I made like just vamping on one chord in kind of a modal jazz kind of style because that's also uh, idiomatic of of modal jazz. And so it's like this groove over one chord and this Afro-Cuban-y kind of feel. And, and I let the guys uh, in the band just kind of stretch out and improvise however long they wanted. And <laughs> it was kind of funny recording it because I had this structure set up of like, okay, we'll play the melody, we'll solo then I'll have another little melody segment and then another solo and then we'll play the melody out kind of like structured in a way. Mm-hmm. And the guitarist just got like possessed by the devil or something. He was just shredding. <laughs> and then the the horns come in to play the melody uh, and that's like supposed to be his him ending the solo and he just keeps playing through it. And so everyone looks at me and I'm like, keep going, keep going, just keep going. Don't stop. <laughs> and so we're like playing through and then everyone's like, okay, but now we're... You know, we all had to like really, really give each other big nods to figure out like, okay, this is going to be the end. Now we're going back to that section we just plowed through before and we're going to, you know, and so we got to the, to the mixing room and he was like, uh, I think you should just keep it the way it is. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, so, yeah, I think so too. So that one's, uh, I think that's the longest track on the album just because of this, uh, this uh, <laughs> surprise guitar solo, uh, surprisingly long guitar solo, I guess. But I mean, that's, that's the cool part of that format is you never know when you're going to get something like that. So you want to yeah. rather have it than not have it, I'm sure. Well, and that's my, like the thing that I appreciate the most about music playing music and listening is um yeah that spontaneity of like people in a room like really trying to make something together and obviously like that's a that's a pretty small segment of all music that has that but that's really what gets me excited so i want to try and capture that in the in this album i have to say uh i was actually going to say if you didn't pick fendron i was hoping it was orphan because you're right for such a such an ambient heavy soundtrack um if you want to do something ex- experimental like why not go all the way mm. and i think that is a fan favorite track mm. um i've heard arrangements of it when nintendo releases compilation albums they tend to include that song right so oh good choice i can't wait to hear the whole thing <laughs> i'm like super Thank psyched you. unfortunately for us rpg fans at rpg fan my understanding is with it being a GameCube focused album, it's a little little light on the RPG front, though you did cover two different Zelda games, right? Yes. Wind Waker. Uh, yeah, I had to do Wind Waker. It's kind of my all-time favorite game. First game I ever bought as a kid. But uh, but I'm sure there's no nostalgia at play. I'm sure it's just object- objectively the best game ever made. Uh, <laughs> it's but, fantastic, uh, for sure. <laughs> well, and so, yeah, I mean, I definitely was cognizant of like, I want to pick tunes that people know and already like. But then there's also a couple deep cuts, like Wind Waker. I don't know if it's a deep cut, actually, but the Mulgara boss fight theme. Um, it is. I think that would be a deep cut in most yeah. people's eyes. Because it's pretty... It is, yeah, it's definitely not... If you think Wind Waker music, you're like, oh, the ocean theme and, you know, uh, maybe Outset Island and Dragon yep. Roost. Oh, Dragon Roost, of course. But mm-hmm. I just had an idea for the Mulgara theme uh, uh, for the arrangement that I couldn't pass up. So I had to do that. And then for Twilight Princess, I did uh, the tune Our Children Taken, which has always been 
like one of my favorite pieces of video game music it's so beautiful this like dark slow ballad um but then i think it's like barely in the game it's on the soundtrack and like listening through the soundtrack it's you know this you have this beautiful piece of music but then playing through the game i didn't even notice it so <laughs> it's one of those ones it's like wait does it play for about 30 seconds somewhere i think it's like a yeah, singular exactly. cutscene with like no <laughs> yep. reuse yeah exactly so that one i'm sure no one will know but uh, that was another one where it's just too good of a tune where i had to had to had to put it on the album they're gonna know it they're gonna know it now your version did you did you actually did you do anything with the gamecube boot up jingle <laughs> yeah well that's how it opens the very does first it really it's just the, perfect yeah yeah is that a is that a 12 tone pattern i don't think it is it's um if it is it's probably by accident because it's it's a lot of fourth fourths yeah it's, it's like it's um, stacked fourth arpeggiated yeah yeah exactly and then just kind of like chromatically shifting through these these groups of fourths um in a really rhythmically off kilter way. Well, if you if you run circle of fifths or circle of fourths up, you do get all twelve tones eventually. That's true. That's true. I'd have to look at it and see. Count the count the accidentals. Are there twelve here? That was fun to make those guys play too in the band. You'd get the sheet oh, music wow. and they're like, oh, okay, this, okay, how fast is this? All right. And the piano player, especially, he was like, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it one more time. <laughs> like, you just crushed it. Oh, man. And, um, side note first, first musical definition for people who might be listening uh, an accidental is, and people can add or like correct this definition as needed, but an accidental is a note in a piece of music that was either shifted sharp or flat. The tone is shifted slightly in a kind of unexpected based on the key signature. That's right. Yeah, it's our sharps, flats, and neutrals if you have to go outside of the... Mm-hmm. Right. Or double flat, double sharp. Yeah, it's the stuff we put <laughs> in front of a note to, to change it from what's in the key. There you go. And with a stacked fourth 12-tone thing, there may not be a key. <laughs> yeah, I'd say there's no key. <laughs> there's no key that, to the GameCube jingle. jingle. So the last chord is uh, C and B flat and D, I believe. Oh, wow. So I'm like, that's is that a chord? <laughs> yeah, spread out. It's like two sevenths, right? Yeah, yeah, true. Is that right? I think I, I think I have that right off the top of my head. It's been a while. It's, cer- it's certainly memorable. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, with that, is there anything else we want to say um, about the album, or do we want to kind of shift into some more musical vocabulary and fun musical concepts based on videos from Eight Bits Channel? Well, I think we'll cover this again at the end, but. Uh, how do people get your album or is it streaming only or is can you buy it it'll be on on spotify and apple music and it should be in all the streaming places i guess but Bandcamp is where you can buy it if you want to support the the musical uh, recording venture side of my uh, work online um it'll i think it'll be like 10 bucks and uh yeah love Bandcamp. Bandcamp rocks <laughs> Let's play. It'll be uh, if you go on my uh, YouTuber, you'll be able to find it. Ape Music Theory album. I'm sure you'll be able to find it. <laughs> are you gonna Are you gonna put the whole album up for stream on YouTube on your channel? Yeah, I think so. Great, and of course we'll be including you know links to the YouTube channel and all the mm-hmm. appropriate links for the album in our show notes, especially Thank since at much. that point the album will most likely have released. Uh, true, I'm talking about it in future tense, but this is we're speaking <laughs> to you from the past. Yes. <laughs> a lot of time travel going on here. <laughs> All right. So do we want to just kind of take it from the top and talk about Motif a little bit first? I, I do. I'm, dude, I'm psyched. <laughs> I'm, I'm gushing. I said I, before recording, I said I wouldn't gush, but 
Holy crap, 8-bit. You are you are bringing the the key musical vocabulary as well as some fun obscure stuff to an audience that just loves game music but maybe doesn't have the like tools for analysis to understand why they love it. And I think one of my favorite things about your videos is you'll really break down a concept and then you'll just be like, ooh, like right there, that's it. Um, and here are a few different examples. Yeah. And that mix of like passion and knowledge is like, for me, a lot of people who have been following our website for years know I my big thing is I write about game music. I've got a bazillion mm. soundtrack reviews and I'm proud of them. But sometimes I will discuss a concept and not really give a lot of context behind the concept. Mm. And I found that to be problematic for readers and so i'm over, i'm thinking over here like anyone who's confused man you just go watch 8-bit music theory <laughs> get your education in the most fun way possible oh man and you're good to go yeah, well i i maintain that there's nothing more exciting than music theory which i know is like a uh uh hot take <laughs> but it's like like what could be better like it's because music is the best thing in the world you know there's nothing that makes you feel better than good music and mm -hmm. so then being able to understand music better, like the more I learn about music, the more I appreciate and enjoy music, you know, there's not like, especially when you're, you're starting out and you're young as a musician, I feel like you meet a lot of people who have this idea that music theory is uh, counter to enjoyment or counter to, you know, like, oh, I'll know too much and then I won't be able to, to appreciate my music or whatever, or I won't be able to be creative or whatever. I don't like this chord progression. And now that I know how to recognize it, the song is ruined for me. <laughs> right. <No. laughs> but that has not been my experience, I guess. <laughs> well, let's start with one of the most um, sort of basic concepts that I think people can latch onto, which is the concept of motif. There's a longer mm. version of the term, which is late motif, which is spelled funny. And usually refers to like character theme or concept in media, but like simply put, and your definition in your Pokemon Mystery Dungeon video is really good. You know, motif is is a, a melody that's recurring, but it doesn't always have to be exactly that. And mm. so I'd like to start by talking about your Pokemon Mystery Dungeon video. I think that's explorers of sky slash time slash darkness. Yeah. Yeah, motif uh motif's big in video games. I mean, um, the I know you just said you just mentioned the Pokemon Pokemon Mystery Dungeon video, but the the example I always think of first is the Super Mario World soundtrack, where every uh, theme is some is a, using the same melody, you know, and then the Ghost House theme is da 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 da. It's the same theme but just ghostified, and it's like the watery one is sort of slowed down and mellowed out and then the yeah, dungeon exactly. one is minor key and even diminished at one point i think it's a great musical um uh what's the word i'm looking for it's a great musical um wow i'm really blanking on my word right right here that sucks it's it's mirroring the way that mario as a character is static and the levels around him change as you play the game the theme is static and the different uh contexts that you view the theme in affect how you perceive it but mario is always mario and the theme is always the theme you know so mm -hmm. there's a lot of different reasons why you would want to use motifs um and i think in video game writing partially it's it's um uh a cohesion thing where like if you don't have to write 20 new melodies why would you you know what i mean mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it like brings the whole soundtrack together where it's all it's all uh, about one thing, one musical thing, and mm -hmm. and uh, and it's always a, a cool uh, moment if you notice, like, oh, I didn't realize it at first, but that is the same theme. Like, that's always a cool 
moment when you're playing a game. Yeah. There's so many different elements to it. There's the recognition. Um, another point that you bring up in the mystery dungeon video that I think is great, all the different things, all the different ways you can change mm. a motif to bring different emotions, different feels to it. Yeah. Well, that, that soundtrack particularly, that's why, why I picked that topic was because I was thinking like this, this motif is so perfectly written to be transformed in so many different ways you know like if you're if your motif is like a c major triad or something there's only uh you know there's going to be a limit to how much you can change it without it losing what made it it, the motif in the first place but uh i mean it's been a long time since i made this video so i'm blanking now but uh (laughs) i think the main motif was like uh like a sus sus kind of chord right one of them was one of them was there's three identified motifs one for one for sky one for darkness one for time and the opening music gives you all three, and then you give ex- oh, you give multiple right. examples of how each motif is used. And I think the big one for me was the darkness theme had like it was like drop down a major third and then up a uh, either major or minor seventh. Oh, and so yeah, it was very yeah, distinct. Yeah. But then you showed one where like you could use darkness but make it like it didn't have to stay dark because you were mm-hmm. like what the mind remembers is a, a relatively small dip down and then a big jump up so then it turns into like a fourth and an octave it'd like it'd be like d a and then the upper a and oh now i can put it in a major key and now it can sound happier (laughs) yeah like i just that explanation like i don't know like i think i can understand that like i've understood that intuitively my whole life but i've never had that spelled out for me in a way where i was like aha and this is what i'm talking about where like no matter your level of like prior knowledge of music theory, like your analysis is just so strong. Right. And that particular point in the video, um, it's just really, really well illustrated too, because you, you go through, you play the different intervals and you show how they change in that example. And you can just easily, easily hear and Mm. see because of the transcription, exactly what the change is and how it sounds. (laughs) That's I'm glad to hear that. I, uh, uh, first of all, I want to apologize for not remembering my, like having you re-explain my video to me. Every, every time I finish a video, it just like floats out of my brain and I'm like, never have to think about that again. No, but, uh, <laughs> so I, this is like, the real pop quiz. Do you remember your own work? <laughs> yeah, that's probably way harder than, than the pop quiz in store for me later. No, uh, yeah, I think like, um, I'm cause I've, 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 I don't know if it's just the, the little experience I had trying to show people cool stuff about music and having me be like do you hear it I'm like no not really like i'm very aware of how difficult it is to actually like i, I i'm aware that i'm talking about like one fraction of a second in a piece of music with like six instruments and being like no but listen to this one thing so i try and make it as clear as possible like here i'll play it on its own on the keyboard and then let's look at the sheet music a little bit and you know then let's listen to the tune and then maybe we'll listen to it again after i finish talking about it if, if that makes sense to do for the flow of the video so i'm glad to hear that it does make sense <laughs> when you watch it <laughs> yeah. when you're uh, yeah when you're deep in it it can be easy to uh <laughs> forget that that uh, not everyone has a hundred hours listening to this one tune you know i think another one that's big and you know for us at rpg fan obviously the final fantasy series is Mm. enormous i think musically it's probably half of like most people's musical diet uh, (laughs) among our readers like rpg music diet yes yeah, yeah like final fantasy certainly dominates it probably half i'd say for a lot of people i know and so some of the big battle mm-hmm. themes that are out there you think of uh clash on the big bridge from five which you did a video oh, yeah. on uh 
the final battle music, which is technically like four songs, Dancing Mad, which I want to talk about. <laughs> and then, of course, FF7's One Winged Angel. Like, mm. these are sort of like big pieces. And Dancing Mad, we've probably talked about ad nauseum between written and verbal slash podcast forms on the site. But there is a ton in there that I honestly have never noticed myself or noticed anyone else noticing. And that is primarily in the form of uh, how often Kefka's character theme shows mm-hmm. up in Dancing Mad. I, in I various knew it, forms, yeah. I knew it did, and I, but I really only knew it in, in the last form, like the rock band form. I knew that the melody was right. like the 7-8 sped up version of his... And then like the big call out, the bum, like they give that call out, but... In the organ solo section, you point out that the bass part of the organ plays his uh, his main theme first in a major key, and then as the song uh, moves toward it, it just it just goes from that same major to minor, and then it's played again in minor, and it's then it's the exact same notes as the melody. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I've probably heard that song three to four hundred times and <laughs> have literally never picked up on that in the baseline and there you are just knowing it and i'm just like who is this man <laughs> like how do you do this oh the, well it's a lot of staring at sheet music but uh, that was a very exciting find for me because a lot of like when i'm making a video a lot of times um i don't know what i'm going i don't really know what the video is going to be about until i've transcribed a bunch of music and i've been staring at it for a long time because it's like uh like I never want to make a video about something that I'm not excited to learn about too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I everything I make I try and like it's it's always I'm trying to figure out something for myself and if I manage to figure something out then I'll kind of document the process almost. But um uh then it's the dancing mad it was like, you know, this is such a iconic very cool piece of music. I transcribed the whole thing and then just was staring at it for a long time trying to figure out like what all the cool stuff about it and i'm sure there's lots of cool stuff that i didn't didn't manage to figure out too but yeah that was a big find i remember being very pumped when i was like that's his theme in the bass and like you know just like going for a major it's like a musical easter egg you know yeah You're like exactly. oh i found it well and like it has so much symbolism with you know his he's coming down in this angelic form and you have the fugue you know very obviously evoking a church with the organ and, and everything mm-hmm. and and then it's like, oh no, but he's still the most evil person in the world. Like having right. a major shift to minor. Like it's so it, when it all comes together, like this is Uematsu is just a genius, you know, just just yeah. I mean, you know, I'm sure this is called RPG fan, so I'm sure uh, <laughs> I'm sure you guys. We, we know Uematsu he's a genius, fan. but sometimes we don't remember or know why he's a genius. Right. So. It's, it's always good to have like very specific evidence like that. Yeah, um. true. It's always fun to point out particular reasons. And. I love how much that that video on Dancing Mad fits into our particular discussion about motif because Kefka, like, asked a bunch of RPG fans. Uh, we did an entire, like, villains episode on him. Like, mm. a lot of people are interested in him as a character. And musically, that's definitely reflected in Dancing Mad. Mm-hmm. Like you just said, you know, we get his theme creeping in, even though you've got this organ fugue thing going on. You know, he's kind of attempting to transcend his roots they're creeping back and it's just really interesting to listen to i can't imagine uh writing writing that that whole 
uh well that whole soundtrack like man how did you just sit down and come up with that that's crazy yeah. we but. should we should also <laughs> add um for those of you who aren't familiar with his channel, 8-Bit actually has a three-part uh, video on analyzing Final Fantasy VI's music. Dancing Mad is the third and final part, but all yes. three parts really help you see a, a broader picture of what Oimatsu did with that soundtrack. That was, that was so good. Very good. And a lot of character, like there's a lot of character theme focus. So you want to talk about motif, I mean... Uh, you do. I think it's part two, the one where you look at like yeah, Queen yeah. Song and Edgar and Saban's theme. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so you get you get more about motif throughout all three parts. Uh, but man, Dancing Mad is just you get Kepka's whole journey. <laughs> yeah, you really I, do. <laughs> I really, I I just had planned to do one video on Final Fantasy VI and talk about motifs kind of generally. And then, you know, it's like, oh, well, I have to talk about Dancing Mad if I'm talking about this, this, uh, you know, the soundtrack. And then I realized, like, writing about it a little bit, thinking like, oh, this is going to be worth its own video on. So I'll do a two-parter, one half, just the rest of the soundtrack, then the second half, Dancing Mad. And then working on the first half, I realized that I had, like, 3,000 words of stuff to say about coin songs. <laughs> like, oh, okay, well, I guess this should be its own video, too. So that definitely, uh, there was a lot of scope creep on that that particular project but i'm glad i'm glad it's a cool yeah cool trio good on you for figuring it out in advance i'm tired of <laughs> tired of trilogies that have a part three broken into parts one and two <laughs> very like, mad at attack yeah. on titan right now the final part season three, part, part three. Oh yeah 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 so dumb just yeah that stuff <laughs> makes me mad so thanks good on you for having the insight to see you had to split up ahead of time <laughs> yeah, yeah and they are I mean, I think they're broken up really well in terms of, you know, digesting and learning a little bit more about mm. motif each time. Well, I'm glad. I'm, I'm, I'm glad it worked out well. I feel like I always kind of, I'm always kind of throwing things together, but <laughs> I'm glad it worked out. <laughs> Did you want to talk about the the Zelda 2 video Ooh. with the rhythm oh. analysis? Because that's, that's a, a relatively new video and... Uh, Percussion drums is like where you got your start, right? Eight bit. Yeah, yeah. I'm a drummer. Um, uh, I went to school to learn uh, how to play drums. Jazz. I got a jazz degree in in drums. And uh, and when I started the channel, I'd get comments being like, like just assuming that I'm a piano player, and I was so flattered. Like, oh, I must be. I must know what I'm talking about if they assume I'm a piano player. But uh, yeah, <laughs> drum, I'm a. I'm playing drums on the new album too. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned that before. And no, uh, that's, that's my great. primary. Uh, primary instrument it's it's so wild to see someone who's so clearly aware of melody and harmony when you're playing an instrument whose chief focus is rhythm well there's a lot of uh i mean there are lots of drummers that don't uh, focus on that um with good reason because it's not super relevant to your what you're doing but i think having the ear to hear shifts in harmony and like i feel well as a drummer your role is kind of to support whatever's happening in the song and so you do have to have kind of a level of like emotional intelligence as a to be a good drummer to say like i can feel that the song is trying to be triumphant and if i'm not you know drumming in a way that is triumphant it's going to completely kill it like if the drums aren't aren't with the vibe it it's impossible for the other instruments to make up for it kind of um so i definitely have always like being in bands and stuff always had an ear out for like you know how are the chords moving what are the chords evoking what is the melody kind of trying to convey and then how do i support that 
I guess. So I don't know. This is trying to reverse engineer why I'm a theory nerd uh, uh, and a drummer. <laughs> so <laughs> it could be way off. But No, that's a, that's a great point. And I think that that comes across a lot when you discuss the, the temple music from Zelda 2 because mm. you go through and you kind of show like how the melody is moving harmony are moving you know when they're when they're ascending descending and you kind of break down like how the emphasis and the rhythm helps support that yeah well that's an interesting one because uh, all that like NES music where there's no drums you know <laughs> when you get a really rhythmic piece of music and it's just <laughs> the rhythm of these different melodies uh, mm-hmm. interacting. That's super interesting. And then also um, I had been thinking while I was making, like just before making that video, I had been thinking a lot about kind of trying to classify rhythm. Like, because you know, especially playing drums, you you kind of have a sense of like, oh yeah, if you anticipate the beat, it feels a certain way. And if you, you know, delay the beat, it feels a certain way. But no one had ever, I had never heard any kind of codified terminology to really understand that and uh, as a theory nerd that's as a professional theory nerd there's nothing more than i love uh, codifying uh with terminology so <laughs> i had been like working out this conception of rhythm of like okay well what happens if you anticipate a beat or or delay a beat or whatever um and uh, and then that uh, piece of zelda 2 music is like so rhythmic and that's kind of like the draw is that like you know it's like and that whole soundtrack really is very rhythmically interesting and uh and so just like fit perfectly onto what i was thinking about and 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 that was that was a pretty quick episode to write too actually yeah but so that was again that was me trying to figure something out how do i like put this into words in a way that i can you know have like write down and be able to point to and go okay if i want my tuned to sound such and such a way this is how i need to change the rhythm and and uh and yeah i'm glad uh, i'm glad people seem to dig it people other than me seem to dig it <laughs> yeah i think there yeah a lot of work and syncopation and like you said um either anticipating or delaying like just an just uh an eighth note before or after one on the bar like makes such mm. a difference yeah and zelda 2 like that soundtrack like loves playing with that idea totally 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 yeah and i think a lot of the discussion at the beginning just to kind of provide some background is it's sort of if you are familiar with playing an instrument you know there are certain beats in a measure that are considered a little bit more stable and certain certain beats in the measure that are considered a little bit less stable and you can kind of lead into those beats which Zelda 2 does a lot and actually that, <laughs> that kind of leads into my next question which is what are what do we think the the takeaways from that rhythm video if we had to kind of scope it down to a couple key points like if we wanted to go listen to some future RPG music for a rhythm episode what are like the top couple things to keep in mind to listen for rhythmically mm. Um, I think, I think I would pay attention to, um, kind of like comparing action music as opposed to very subdued music, um, and kind of see like, where are they, where are they rhythmically different? Because I think that, you know, rhythm is such a huge part of music. Um, and it's kind of really hard to talk about in a theory way, especially compared to chords where you can say, <laughs> where it's like a math formula, basically you have your one and your four, and then you go to the two and, um, but rhythm is kind of like, yeah, you know, it just feels a certain way. But uh, but if you like, l- you know, listen to action e music, you'll find a lot more anticipations and a lot of anticipations of beat three specifically. Like I think the beat in the bar matters a lot too. So that kind of like bump, 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 bump. You would never have like a slow, you know, home village theme with that kind of pounding. Don't, 
gong, 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 rhythm underneath. Right, with that pattern. Yeah. So yeah. all about kind of picking out the patterns and kind of what types of tracks you, you hear them in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And anything, I mean, anything, there's, I feel like there's a, there's a, tradition of stupid time signatures and in, in rpg boss music too yes you could probably <laughs> keep an ear up for you have a whole separate video on odd time signatures including the infamous um ganondorf fight <laughs> in ocarina of time that does a 23 16 that marries a 13 <laughs> and a 10 beat pattern well, which is just even listening to the tune a bunch it's so hard to feel that beat still <laughs> you know yeah. like that's yeah Ba -bum, ba -bum, ba -bum, ba -da -ba -da. That fifteen eight in in Mother Three, where oh yeah, that's so crazy that it's that like was... yeah, you time your I think your critical hits on hitting yeah, one yeah. on the beat, and it's like, how are you ever going to know one on that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, and that's such a cool. I've never played the game. I really, uh, it's on my list of like, you know, figure out how to get this this thing emulated. But uh, I uh, yeah, that's such a cool concept to me of like you know RPG battles but then there's a rhythmic element to to the to the mechanics and so then when the bosses get harder the music gets rhythmically more like complicated like i love that i think that's such a sick idea um but yeah so that that ends up in some absolutely ridiculous time signatures like, that was a real pain in the butt to transcribe <laughs> Way back. so if you want to if you want to get some practical application and a good feel for rhythm play mother three yeah let the, <laughs> let the game train you. All right. So we've looked at motif. We've looked at, you know, some basic rhythm analysis. We've looked at odd time signatures. Um, now, one of the big things in a lot of your music theory is looking at chord progression, chord structure. And one of the most interesting things, one of the things that I think people hear it, but don't always know that they've heard what they heard, but it stands out is the experience of modulation or key change mm. within a song. And you picked a one particular game that had a, a whole bunch of modulation within the same game for a lot of character and environment themes. Um, and that was a, a recent uh, RPG, Octopath Traveler, um, with music by Yasunori Nishiki. Um, we've covered the heck out of it um, <laughs> alongside its OST. It had some band arrangements, a 16-bit arrangement, uh, a mm. live concert Blu-ray. We've been all over this soundtrack. Yeah, um, break, it, break and boost. Yeah, the yeah, break, yeah, boost right. and break boost and beyond. Like, so much good stuff. And sadly, I don't think I once mentioned key change or modulation <laughs> in all my reviews. And I'm like, I'm, I'm missing something important here. And so I wanted to go back and just look at some of the, some of the songs and not just how you feel it, but also like when you modulate key, like when you change key, the destination, what you're changing to matters a mm. lot. Like, did you move up a whole step? Are you going to do a circle of the minor third jumps? Uh, will you go up a whole fourth? Like what, how you do the key change matters and sometimes means something in context to the music. Yeah, definitely. What key you change to has a big effect emotionally. And then how you change uh, as far as... Um... I always think of it in terms of like either be, being a very smooth change or a very, very sudden change. Both are totally, um, both can be good options depending on what you want. And there are good examples of both in the soundtrack of just like if you're chugging along in one key and then you just go, bam, we're up a minor third. Like that's, you know, that has a huge effect. Big, It's a big shock and, and um, sounds very uh, epic, I guess you could say. 
Whereas like if you really take your time of like in these eight bars, we kind of leave the key and then it's a little bit up in the air and then we settle back in and you're in a new key and you like barely even know, but it does have the slight effect on the music as far as, you know, oh, it just feels a little lighter or something like I, I think that kind of thing is super interesting. Um, and the soundtrack was, yeah, just after transcribing some of the themes um, I was looking at like every every tune almost changes key like this is crazy. So. I thought it was a good candidate for a key change video. If I recall, I think Frostlands, which is like probably my favorite song on that soundtrack, mm. does the minor three hop across the whole set. Sa- like that's the whole thing. It's the oh, same yeah. song and then you just jump up and then you just jump up. Right. Oh, I remember that now. Yes. But then there were other songs where you, and you pointed this out and I never really paid attention to this, like growing up and looking at classical music. This idea that a good transition, if you're going to do a soft transition for your modulation, is the chord or the two chords before it are functional harmony in both the key you were in and the key Mm. you're about to be in. And you do really good analysis on this when Nishiki is doing these softer transitions. Like, what does it look like? like? Like the whole like fake you out experience. Well, I love I love stuff like that because it's uh, they're called pivot chords, the chords that kind of make sense in one key, and then when you shift keys retroactively, it's like oh, they made sense in this key too. It like sets up the key change really well, and yeah, it can be very smooth. And I always like just the puzzle of it. I find so interesting of like uh, if you have these two keys and you know you want to get from one to the next, like what chords could you? pick that would sound natural in both that would make the transition work like that's a very a very it's a good marriage of like the mathy kind of analytical part of my brain and the the music you know emotional creative part you know just coming together perfectly so that yeah i always find that interesting to to see can you give some examples of both yeah 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 sure types of key change um, in octopath in octopath let me pull up uh, let me pull up my transcriptions here this has been a long time since i <laughs> since i made this video too uh so i remember i remember in uh, is it um the warrior old brick his brick it's it goes he's in d minor for the it starts and it's just like strong in d minor and then um it just like hops into f minor kind of right away um up a minor third and the same theme just up up a minor third and so it's like even though it's the same theme same six bars of music it's uh it's uh sounds so fresh and energetic and exciting and probably that's the orchestration too i'm sure but just yeah hop in between d minor and f minor at a moment's notice is is jarring but in a effective way lending some energy so if you notice that listeners toward the beginning of ulbrich song yeah you can hear it within the first 30 seconds you hear the 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 shift and you go oh what was that i just heard and felt and that is modulation but my favorite example um in the flatlands there's uh there's there's uh so you start in the key of d major and it's very uh major key it's not the harmony is not weird or anything um or not super weird at least uh, uh and it chugs along in d major for a while and then it uh, switches to g minor but the thing oh, that I like yes. that's so cool about it is that the G minor is foreshadowed in the beginning section because in the key of D, a G minor chord is a minor four chord. And the four chord, would, you'd usually have a G major in the key of D, but it's a, they use a minor one. And that's like an established harmonic sound that everybody knows. Everyone, uh, even if you don't know, you know it. Everyone's heard it before, you know? Right. You put in that B flat and you get this Dorian mode and the melody and all that. Yeah. And it's a little, it's a little like uh nostalgic or or uh, 
emotional you know it's that's kind of like the uh, uh almost like over if i play a little uh keyboard i wonder if you'll hear me let me see uh, do you hear this coming through right. yes so the it's kind of like the classic almost like old hollywoody like uh, very like pretty emotional kind of resolution right the minor four <laughs> resolving to one yeah. yeah you covered that also in the kakariko theme video yeah that's right eh? um but so anyways using this you're borrowing a, a chord from outside the key but in a very in a way that you still feel like you're in the key of d you're not you don't feel like you're modulating at all but then to modulate to g minor later you know it kind of takes you a sec of like oh a g minor chord i heard that before that's the minor four chord you know you still kind of feel like you're in d and it takes until a couple bars in to go oh wait no this is we're in a new key now so uh, that kind of like a uh, foreshadowing move I thought was super interesting. So jumping off of that, you know, a part of what makes modulation work is understanding. And even if you don't understand it on a, on sort of a cognitive and rational level, just feeling the sense of functional harmony as we understand it, whether it's in classical form or a more like modern, simple form. And again, reference to a video you just posted that shows a lot of really good simple harmony analysis there was there's hades in there that made me really happy you put good rhythms in there just such oh, yep. a good that was oh bless you for doing that by the way <laughs> but you know for all the great functional harmony in the world sometimes there's this thing that exists that we refer to as non-functional harmony oh, yes. which is it's its own wild world and for you as you know a sort of a jazz fusion specialist i imagine you have quite a good sense for what non-functional harmony is but you showcase the concept of non-functional harmony using the compositions of Yasunori Mitsuda in what is probably one of the most celebrated RPGs of all time, Chrono Trigger. Mm-hmm. And a very highly celebrated soundtrack, too. Yes. <laughs> very, and and interestingly, you know, Mitsuda didn't compose that whole soundtrack. There's uh, That's right. about 30% contribution, I think, is Oimatsu. Uh, all, pretty much all the non-functional harmony comes from Mitsuda's contributions, which uh, I think there must have been something intentional with Mitsuda's, you know, compositional style and intent for mm-hmm. this game. And so I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about, um, you know, what you recognized and how you first recognized it when you listened to the soundtrack. And also if we could, you know, consider some of the examples you gave, I think, um, gosh, is it Zeal Palace? I, I don't know the name of the song. It's the dungeon that you run through um, bl- the Black Omen or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's those chords are all over the place. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that, like, uh, uh, Yasunori Mitsuda's one of the, I think he has maybe one of the strongest kind of compositional voices in the video game composer world as far as, like, you can really tell when he it's him behind a tune. Um, he has so many little like the the that kind mm-hmm. of thing. We actually one of our colleagues labeled figure. that the the Mitsuda slide. <laughs> well, yeah, because he uses it <laughs> everywhere, and it's like yeah. it's awesome. But so he has such a distinct musical sensibility, which I think is kind of rare in in game composers, just from the nature of if you're scoring a bunch of different games, you're always trying to think about what's best for the game. You know, you're you're trying to adapt your style to the thing you're working on. Um, 
and not that that Mitsuda doesn't do that, but just he still manages to hold on to this very specific kind of sound. Um, and so I think part of that sound is is uh, <laughs> minor nine chords, which would be that kind of thing where you have a minor chord with the flat seven and the ninth on top. It's super colorful, um, uh, super colorful, kind of dark kind of sound. And then he likes to move them around just in, he just likes to chuck chords at you with complete disregard for any sense of key or whatever, you know? Um, I'm being a little, little, uh, facetious, I guess, but he's, uh, yeah. So I noticed like just listening through the soundtrack, I'm like, wow, those chords are coming out of nowhere. So trying to transcribe them and, and you know, what is, like, what is that movement? That sounds crazy. (laughs) Um, so, and then that led to, you know, oh, non-functional harmony how does it work like how would you you know how do you talk about it in a modern kind of video game uh, uh setting and uh, a lot of times it has to do i think with making sure that there are there are clashing notes between two chords like really searching out like if this chord has a g in it i want the next chord to have a g flat so that they don't work together and that kind of jarring effect uh using that to to create this um a jarring effect that's that's a poor way to put it but you know what i mean <laughs> well the other thing you point out about non-functional harmony is there's a lot of these like four measure four chord sections that just turn into what you call two chord vamps right mm-hmm. you just got the one chord and then the next chord and then back to the first chord and then back to the second chord and then you might change it up but that back and forth is almost this sort of uh almost like a call and response so like you're teaching the listener you have this mm. sound and then you have this very distinct different sound and you do that twice and then you go and do something different again. <laughs> right, right, right. So you give it's like you teach the listener just long enough. This is what I'm doing. <laughs> oh, now I'm going to do this other thing. And there's also like I think you get this a lot in uh more simple chord progression kind of pop pop tune things too where it's you're not sitting on one chord, you're repeating a, uh whether it's two or four chords or whatever. But it, in repeating the sequence of chords over and over, it turns into like a meta chord kind of like just one kind of sound that mm. pervades the whole thing. Um, so like if you have a movement like to like a like that's a dissonant shift between those two chords. Mm-hmm. But if you move back and forth between them over and over, the that that kind of dissonance becomes the sound that that underpins the whole tune. And that was Secret of the Forest, I think, those two. Yep. And you can recognize it. Mm-hmm. Because which is the that really is, nice part. Like it's the melody's great, but really what that song is is that chordal movement. Like that is what what people are drawn to, I think. And that's kind of the point of the tune, as far as I can tell. So and then of course, like you said, it goes off into other crazy stuff, but it takes a lot of time to establish like this chord movement. It starts with like just the chords and arpeggios and then the melody comes in only after you've heard that shift back and forth a couple times and you know it really I think when you're dealing with dissonant stuff you have to be careful to to introduce it like very intentionally to the listener in a way where they'll be able to accept it um, unless you just want to be weird you know you can hear that happening over and over in the Chrono Trigger soundtrack I can I can think of several songs where you have that little introduction and that whole process happening mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I was gonna say I think for for people who want to try their hand at composition, if you're gonna attempt this sort of two chord vamp non functional harmony, it is really important to build an established sound before you introduce the melody, and then be very careful about crafting the melody because if you take the two chords from Secret of the Forest 
and try to write your own melody around it, like the chances <laughs> that you're going to fail spectacularly are just so high, <laughs> like statistically, right? You yeah, can yeah, yeah. try to do anything around that. It's probably going to sound garbage unless you're really thinking about what you're putting and where and when. Um, and it's, I mean, Secret of the Force is one of the most perfectly crafted melodies as far as I'm concerned. But it's, I think, what if part of what makes it good is, I mean, if you play that melody outside the context of the chord progression, it's still good. But it's the chord yeah. progression that, like, and it's clear that he wrote the melody around <laughs> those two chords that it's just like, oh. It all works together. It's, like, super bright, even though it's a, also, like, a dark, like, there's just something right. cool. Well, it's, and it's just, like, it's that's how, you, you know, it's a really deep piece of music because it does get past, like, you know, oh, major chords are happy and minor chords are sad. It's, like, this whole amalgamation of different things that are all balancing together to create this very specific, mysterious you know, all like ancient vibe that's just so perfect. And, and yeah, it's like when you have, if you think of like a major scale, uh, if you're in the key of C, you know, seven out of seven of the 12 notes in the, in that you have available to you are going to fit within the key and only five aren't. So like odds are on your side, but if you're writing above, yeah, like a G flat major to F minor nine vamp, it's like, oh, you only have like three notes to, <laughs> to work with that will sound good over both of those chords. Right. So you hold you hold those notes and the rest can be quick transitions <laughs> at best. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and the way he like he toes the line between the two chords with that melody in a way where if you like you said, if you play the melody by itself, it doesn't sound bad. It's like, oh, that's a melody. That's great. Like the fact that you could pull that off in between you know, on that tightrope is re- really impressive to me. And I tried to do, a t- I remember uh, that was like an early video on the channel. It's been years since I made it, but I still remember the, uh, I'd have a little bit where to, to emphasize, like, you know, if you're trying to write a melody around this kind of vamp, really try be be conscious of what notes will fit over both chords and focus on those. And if you can mm-hmm. find like a pentatonic scale or like a triad that'll fit over both. And so I, I took the the melody to All Star by Smash Mouth and made it fit <laughs> over the. I think it was the Secret of the Forest chords or some other like crazy two chord vamp. And uh, and I like went in with the Chrono Trigger sound font and like made it you know try to make it sound like the original soundtrack as much as possible. And I still get comments on that video being like, huh, that example sounded kind of like Smash Mouth. <laughs> like yes, yep, yes it did. <laughs> <laughs> Because, oh, because the point being that melody is very like there's very few notes in the melody like if you think of a pop song pop melodies usually are don't use too many notes nowadays it's usually either like a pentatonic scale where there's five notes being used at best or sometimes a lot less than that so taking like a pop melody and and changing it to the right key to fit over these two chords that was my little experiment that i did okay last bit of uh educating our listeners with uh <laughs> with uh music theory language though uh you you invented a term here you gave a good label to one uh we've been talking about chord progressions functional harmony and non-functional harmony there's this concept of cadence where there's like a it's sort of an established thing and like i always think of like minor two five one being like the way to mm-hmm. resolve a song classically like secondary dominance and all that Mm-hmm. But you often, in in probably half a dozen videos, you've pointed out the Andalusian cadence, uh, which you 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 also will point out that's the hit the road jack cadence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you're in A minor, it's like A minor G 
F E major. You're just descending down from the minor one. Mm. Um, but then if you if you add one more chord to it, uh, you get this chord progression that appears in some modern songs. You I think you pointed out um, while my guitar gently weeps uses mm-hmm. an example, and then Chicago's twenty five or six to four uses it. But most people will probably know it from the Green Day song Brain Stew. (laughs) So you refer to that as the Brain Stew cadence. And it just it adds a chord in there. I think it's it's one flat seven and then you do the natural six before the flat six and five. Mm -hmm. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, exactly. It's cool. It's um yeah, that's one of those things. There's certain things in music that just are inherently satisfying, and for whatever reason that chord progression just works. And so it's like kind of no wonder that you see it used in all these different tunes, like exactly the same way. Cause it's just that it just works. Like you listen to it and you're like, yep, I want to keep hearing that. That's great. <laughs> you know, like, and yeah. it could just keep going forever and ever. Like, you know, there's something about when music descends, especially by step like that, where it, it's, it feels natural. It feels um, satisfying. And then landing on that E major just wants to shoot it back up to where it started. So it, it works in this perfect loop where it can go on for, minutes on end and no one gets bored of it and yeah that's a good uh, good one to have in the arsenal for sure and again you you use the language of the andalusian cadence and point out brains to in, in i think more than one video but i first mm-hmm. recognized it in i think it's one of your older videos which is about castlevania which oh, yeah. uses oh, yeah. um sort of yep. classical harmonies and modern harmonies like yep. that's the one where you talk about um classical minor versus like a soft minor Mm-hmm. And how like a lot of the songs in just not just old Castlevania, but also like Symphony of the Night and newer, uh, aren't afraid to happily play with both like rock mm-hmm. and like old school orchestral, even like, you know, like people associate, the, you know, box toccata and D minor with vampires and dracula so it's <laughs> right, like well you yeah. gotta have that. Yeah, totally. And that's such a cool, uh, th- that's such a cool pair of styles to cramp cramped together smushed together and like that combination of of it's kind of like what we're talking about with the two chord vamps where that combination of classical and you know rock minor sounds together fuses into its own thing that sounds very like personal to castlevania you know like it sounds very uh uh, you you would associate that pairing now with Castlevania music, or I would at least. Yeah, definitely. It's part of its musical f- uh, fingerprint. Yeah, totally. <laughs> now I'm gonna I'm gonna drop a hint just for you, eight bit. Uh, when we get to the pop quiz, there is a there's a very specific term in music theory that I should have known as a <laughs> pianist and have never known, and I learned it from your Castlevania video. I won't tell you what it is. But Ooh. I do know that it's used in the song that I've picked for you, and I'm and I'm wondering if <laughs> okay. you're going to notice it. <laughs> oh, okay. Pressure's on. Yeah, pressure's I'll on in a big best. way. <laughs> <laughs> so we wanted to take some time to jump into looking at the way you make your videos because I think there's mm. a lot of a lot of intrigue around. Well, how do you put together the things you're doing? Some of the things you've said so far in the interview confirm my suspicions which means uh if it's true you're a workhorse beyond (laughs) compare Mm -hmm. lots of transcription (laughs) yeah my first question is is anyone helping you transcribe or are you pulling transcriptions (laughs) that are like people have submitted like for public use like pretty much every video you do includes a lot of analysis of transcribed music which means i'm assuming you you're putting that all together which sounds like a, like a lot of work just very time consuming early on in the channel 
like f before the first video or I maybe like during the making the first video I kind of realized that I was gonna transcribe everything myself because um I really enjoy it to be honest um that's maybe one of my favorite parts of making the videos is actually transcribing the music um sometimes not sometimes it's a big pain in the ass but <laughs> I do love I love transcription I love the process of it and there's no like official scores for any of these games you know that i mean for there's very very few official uh scores that you could get and the transcriptions that you find online that people have already uploaded i am way too um picky to i you know i like when i started i would look online for things and then you'd notice a mistake and then you'd end up like listening through the whole track like very meticulously to make sure that there are no mistakes and then at that point it's like just as hard to transcribe the music yourself so um so over the years of doing this, I've gone very, very quick uh, at transcribing, especially for just like kind of basic melody, harmony, baseline, lead sheet type transcriptions. I can knock out pretty quick, um, depending on the song, obviously. But what a way to master a skill. That's really cool. <laughs> well, it's a big like it's like if you're going to talk about music in uh, at the level of depth that I think is interesting um where you're really kind of getting into the nitty-gritty of you know what chord is moving to what chord for this modulation or you know what okay. the, the brain stew cadence like all these things i'm picking out that are that i find super interesting um you really have to be looking at i mean my ears aren't good enough to just pick that stuff up on, on the listen you know i i've got to like uh, work it out and write it down and look at it and then go oh yeah that note's going there or whatever so i uh yeah i transcribe everything um with very, very few exceptions, I think there was one video where uh, there was, I think it was a Civilization Six video I did, where the scores were actually up on the composer's website that you yeah, could buy. Chris, yeah, Christopher Tin, great, yeah, great yeah. guy. And he did, that's right, he did publish full mm -hmm. scores uh, for that. I think he might have done it with four and five as well. Not yeah, five, he didn't so. do five, he did four and six. Right. But, but but he did uh, do yeah. another, he had like a second sort of world music album with a really oh, yeah. big vocal hit that they... In my opinion, they should have done for Civ Five, but <laughs> I'm not in charge of these things. But yeah, yeah, he he's big on publishing like full transcriptions and mm -hmm. full sheet music, which is really nice. Well, and it was funny too because I never like ever look for that stuff, even because no one does it. But then uh, Austin Wintery does it, and you've done Austin Wintery does it. That's true. Yeah. Um, but uh, for the Civ video, I remember like trying to transcribe this big orchestral piece and like pick out all these different parts and just being like oh my ears are exhausted i've been working on this so long it's so hard to transcribe orchestral music and like in a fit of uh annoyance i googled like you know civilization scores and then found some like what <laughs> i was not expecting to actually find some but uh yeah so it was like that one and then i actually had a patron uh, on my patreon uh like message me and say hey for fun a friend and i transcribed the whole Link's awakening soundtrack this was back pretty early on in the channel's life, so he generously donated his transcriptions for uh, for my first Link's Awakening video back in the day. Were you able to reuse any of that submission when you did that video on the Link's Awakening remake and how the change occurred? Um, I can't remember now if I did or not. I think like the point of that remake video was uh, about the orchestration more because I thought the <laughs> right. orchestration was just like so cool. So even you know like. Uh, I did end up transcribing everything just to to get all the instruments right and everything, 
Um, but yeah, definitely being able to like copy paste this melody here and save some save time for sure. <laughs> and that, and I'm interested in knowing just for maybe semi personal reasons. Hmm. I don't do transcription, but I do some hobbyist level composition. Sure. And just because I don't have money to invest in it, I've been using <laughs> Muse Score for years, the free software. Mm-hmm. And when yeah, I yeah. look at the screen, I look at it and I'm like, that kind of looks like he could be doing an Amuse score, but I wonder if he's using Finale or something else. What are you using? I'm using Sibelius. He's um, using Sibelius, ladies and a, gentlemen. Uh, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you should use Sibelius, though. I'm not, I have a love-hate relationship. It's mostly hate. I have a hate relationship with Sibelius, but it's like, uh, <laughs> it's the thing where you, you put hundreds of hours into this program and actually learn enough of the shortcuts and like the idiosyncrasies of the the program that you you can actually get something done relatively quickly and it's just you know am i really gonna put in that time into a new program or stick with with what i know so it's the devil you know you live yeah, with exactly. its problems yeah <laughs> But I've heard, you know, I've just heard that Muse Score has been getting better and better over the years. So, and it doesn't cost a million dollars, and you don't have to yeah, pay it a monthly zero subscription dollars, for it. Which it's is lovely. important. Yeah, it's kind of the that's the obvious pick if you're just getting into this stuff. I think. Well, I know it's this is just speaking more generally, but I know it's also kind of a lot of a lot of people to kind of put their transcriptions out there and transcribe more, which is good. Yeah, true. Right? But you know possibly not what you want if you're going into really in-depth analysis and it's easier to do it yourself (laughs) (laughs) well i just every time that i have had a transcription mistake in a video i hear about it you know (laughs) oh yeah we can count on the youtube comments for someone to say well actually yeah it's a machine made of thousands of people designed just to point out your errors so (laughs) i've gone pretty meticulous with my transcriptions now for the videos that you've been making uh, more and more and i think this is probably because you're active on patreon and you're getting a lot of financial support and drumming up you know the hype the good hype the real hype with your (laughs) with your supporters but i have noted that a lot of your videos in the last few years uh you do call out either at the beginning or the end that you know covering a certain topic or covering a certain franchise music is you know it's a fan submitted request I'm wondering at this point, what would you say is your ratio of videos you do because a fan submitted it versus this is something you really wanted to do? And what's one that like no fan ever brought up? You were just like, I definitely need to do this. And I assume (laughs) that probably comes from your earlier videos. So what happened was when I made my Patreon page originally, um, I, you know, I thought I'd get a couple people chucking in a buck or two and so i was making the tiers for uh you know things that you would get for supporting me and i decided to make an insanely high tier that no one would ever ever subscribe to ten dollars per video and if you're (laughs) if you're willing to subscribe that level because i every video from the beginning people are just oh you need to talk about this game oh you need to Mm -hmm. talk about this game and like you know it's just impossible to to take seriously like a hundred thousand requests you know what i mean so it's like oh this will be a good way to say you know to be like i don't i can guilt-free ignore most people's suggestions and just if you are this top level patron drop a suggestion you know and then dozens of people (laughs) man i had no idea how and and originally too this is way back like within the first year making videos i was doing it in uh, windows movie maker making all my assets in ms paint and uh and so i could cram out i could crank out one a week um without like not doing anything else with my life basically 
And, uh, and so I was like, oh yeah, I put out like four videos a month. So I'll say one a month, I'll do one video a month. That's a patron request. That'll be my thing. Um, and then very quickly I like learned how to use, uh, editing, uh, software that could actually do, do stuff that you needed to do and, and make assets more complicated than you can make with the paint tool. And, and so the time it took to make a video ballooned and the quality went up, um, as a result, but then all of a sudden it was like, Oh, I'm getting like maximum two videos out a month. And I have about 30 requests, 30 new requests every month. Um, from patrons so i took a long time so it was kind of like a 50 50 split for a long time of i would do one for me and then one that's a request and the one for me and the one that's a request and then just in the last year or so i kind of made a post and i always got really like nervous about it of like oh i don't you know these people are paying so much money and support you know like her or uh i don't want to let anyone down it sucks that i have like 29 people i'm letting down every month but then uh, every time i post about it to be like hey whatever to talk about this at all everyone's super cool like oh yeah no i don't expect you know i'm just I just love what you do and thought i'd drop a request and like people think about it way less than i do um but so yeah so anyway this just this last year i kind of rejiggered it so that i uh now it's like one in every three videos is going to be a request requested topic. Um, and so if that takes me like three months to get three videos out or one month, it'll, you know, it's the same. Um, but yeah, so the one video that uh, I was kind of like waiting for someone to request because I, I knew that it would not uh, get any views. Um, and if it was a request, I could at least be like, well, it's a request. Uh, but uh, the Chibi Robo video I did uh, it was a year nice. or two ago. That video. Oh, man. I love that. It's one of my favorite games. So cool. Such a weird game. And the soundtrack is so bizarre and has so many great tunes on it. And it just doesn't sound like anything else in, that I've ever heard anywhere else. And so for so long, my wife loves Chibi Robo too. So she'd always be like, you should make a Chibi Robo video. I know I should, but. I had, I'm talking about Zelda this week or whatever. Um, something that people will actually watch. And then eventually I said, you know what? It's time. I'm doing the Chibi Robo video. This one's for me. And I did it and it didn't get any views. And I, yeah, I said, that's fine. <laughs> I actually like that video though. Oh, I'm glad. <laughs> and it's an example of you making that system work for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have to be passionate about it or else like, how do you keep that momentum? Like, even if, even if the, the patreon money rolls in heavier than you expected like you still need passion to keep going oh yeah and i never like i never uh i never do requests that i'm not uh passionate about too like because <laughs> i really do i really do believe that you can find something interesting about a piece of music any piece of music if you look hard enough you know um <laughs> but then there are certain there's definitely music that's just like i don't have the time to look hard enough to find something interesting especially with you know getting a wave of requests in every month so um but so it's i always i always make sure like if i'm even if it's a requested topic or whatever i like take the time to really get into the soundtrack and figure out even if it's something and a lot of times it is like a game that never played or soundtrack they would never think to look at seriously but giving it a, a good hard look you realize like oh that that thing is really cool actually i didn't realize but that's probably why people like the soundtrack and i didn't get it just listening to it you know um, so it's, it's a good system to kind of keep me open to new things too. So I'm not just talking about uh, Zelda music every, every video. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing that simple harmony video also, I mean, that allowed you to hit a lot of people's requests. Yeah. Well, cause there, there are patrons who, who have been supporting me for a long time and request the same thing every month. I do a, like a monthly post that people comment on. That's how I, uh, 
get the request and uh and and like so nice like you know just want to request this game again and i felt bad like realizing oh man some of these guys have been requesting the same thing for like a year and so i was like okay you know and like i it's not like i never thought to do a video on them but like when you're looking through requests and things it's just like i don't know how to make this work like this is kind of cool but i don't know if i could talk about it for long enough or whatever so then i had the idea oh okay if i take all these games that i've looked at before and decided like ah, i don't know how to turn it into a full video really surely all of them together can combine into one you know <laughs> into one video and then it was a matter of like well so what's the topic you know like, yeah, what's I don't the just be like, theme. Yeah. yeah and that was interesting because uh i did kind of realize something about myself which is that i don't like i didn't really know what to do with simple harmony like that was the kind of the common through line is like if you're just dealing with triads and like a very pop oriented you know like with a very pop sensibility um that's really hard i find that really hard to to analyze where i'm like what is going on it's just it's just in the key of f or whatever he's just playing chords from the f key but that doesn't tell you anything about the what why it sounds the way it does you know so trying to figure out a system to think about the stuff that made sense to me was really enlightening and i ended up uh, learning something in the process so i'm glad Glad for all my patrons. Big big love to all the patrons. And uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, for a second time, send my thanks to uh, whichever patrons pushed for Hades and specifically oh, Goodman's because yeah. <laughs> uh, the more the more Hades representation, the better. And uh, that I've actually never I'd never seen transcription of that song before, and I knew they were working from a, a basic harmonic structure, but it, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that the two vocalists were just riding a third the whole way down yeah. the, the melody. Oh, which, so, so just, see, just seeing it on paper or on computer screen was so nice. So just forgetting the transcription alone, I I was just so thankful to see that. No, yeah, and that's such a cool, like, uh, stuff like that where uh, it seems mysterious and then when you look at it, it's actually simple, but it's just, like, exactly right, you know? Like, st- stuff doesn't have to be complicated to sound good. Sometimes it's just, like, the exact right choice, you know? I don't know if that if I'm, if that makes sense, but like like looking at the music, you're like, oh, it's just the chord, the melody is just hitting the fifth of every chord or whatever. It's like not complicated. So then, if you're analyzing, you're like, oh, well, that's not complicated. That's boring. But then when you listen to it, it's like, oh, that's not boring at all. It sounds beautiful. Like, yeah. So that was that was definitely a great song. Oh, and this is what it's doing. <laughs> I, that that transitions well to what I had next uh, in mind. Though I just want to comment real quick. Was it a fan request or was it your own passion project to transcribe the uh, track from Mario Kart with the insane saxophone solo? Oh, that was a that was a passion project. That was that <laughs> was yeah. that was you wanted to subject yourself to the torture of transcribing an insane <laughs> sax solo. No, I mean that like being in jazz school, you have to transcribe solos. That's part of it. Um, so I was used to it, and I really I really enjoy that. Um, Cause that's such a, like the thing that I find interesting about analyzing music generally is kind of trying to get in the composer's head. Like, why did he pick this chord? What effect does it have on the music? Um, and when you're transcribing a solo, you're like really getting a look into the mind of someone who's, imp- who's r- co- composing on the spot, you know, at, at, right. at a, Improvisation. in real time. Um, it's so interesting to, to see like, oh, okay. You know, he knows he's over this chord. He knows if he, he, he has these, the stable of tricks that he can pull out and, you especially if you transcribe different solos from the same musician you can really start to pull out like okay this is like his approach this is how he thinks about this thing and but so uh, i i always love transcribing solos so that was very much like a passion uh, like oh i'm gonna do a fun video for me even though probably no one wants to watch a video about sax soloing like that doesn't seem like a very uh 
broad subject and that ended up being a super popular video like yeah, I, don't know it's a, I don't know it's, why. i think that's another one of the well-celebrated songs mm-hmm. um in mario kart what's the name of that song something shoal dolphin shoals yeah dolphin oh, shoals yeah. that's like oh, yeah. people love that song so it's no wonder yeah uh it was i just thought wow what a tough choice for transcription <laughs> but i guess you like that don't you i, I like a challenge and I always, uh, not to, I guess, not to brag, but I never, I never slow things down or very rarely. I try and do it full speed. And, uh, if I, if I really can't get a line, I'll go back and slow down and double check stuff, but it's good. It's good practice, you know, train your ears up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You, you definitely are like a jazz expert. You sound like the folks I know who are, they're just advanced level I can't keep up. That's incredible. I would have to, if someone asked me to transcribe that sax solo, I need it at 30% speed and it would take me multiple days. We're, we're not even going to go into if I attempted to <laughs> try. A, I would have to sit there and be like, okay, this is this. No, 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 no. I would have to stop frequently. <laughs> um, yeah. That kind of practice and that I think is a good note if we're ready um, to sort of go on the spot and listen to some music and make some comments. Oh, yeah. I talked up a big game and now I'm going to get to... Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Do you want to do yours first? Um, you do yours first. Okay, great. So I'm, I'm going to tell you nothing about what it is in advance. Then we're going to listen to it. And then you tell us what you observed in the piece. And, I'll, and then I can tell you more about the piece, what the game is, okay. where it came from. Okay. We'll have fun yeah, with sounds it. Sounds good. Sounds good. Sounds good. Dun, 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 dun. All right, I have it up in three, two, one, go. <laughs> Ooh. Oh yeah. You Dorian thing. Oh, okay, okay. So I'm hearing like a minor one to major four kind of move. And then descending down. That sounds like a dominant two to dominant five to one to me. Now this is like flat six, I guess. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> this is great. Oh yeah, okay. Six flat six to one. Bamp. Back to the head. Nice. Yeah, and then it just repeats. The song's only 50 seconds long. But we'll let you get the repeat. Okay, sure. I love that. That's so cool. The intro is cool. I liked there's like the dis- uh, chromatically ascending baseline figure thing and then the descending like crazy arpeggio thing on top, you know, one going up, one going down kind of very very hectic sets the stage well. The uh the A section, what key is this in? Uh let me find out my keyboard. So it's an A minor. 
here in that kind of minor one to major four, A minor to D kind of thing. Um, I shouldn't be hunting around. I should just be using my ears. And that uh, the raised sixth of the Dorian mode is yep. is highlighted in the melody. Um, and then I, I I don't know if I quite got the the there's it moves from the one to four vamp into like a descending chord thing that ends on this uh major like dominant two to dominant five to mine that's what i heard i might be a little off with that but that definitely had that kind of castlevania vibe that little classical minor-y thing um so it probably was like uh like descending from the four to the three to the to the dominant two you know i guess maybe i don't know i don't know for sure anyway goes to the the b section it was a flat six chord so f major it's a good um contrast if you think of the a section as being an a minor and highlighting the f sharp note landing on a big f natural in the bass and in the b section is a really good contrast between the two sections and it sets up you know the first section is a more adventurous kind of theme because of that dorian sound whereas the b section is a little bit more subdued a little bit more a little bit more pretty and a little bit more uh, introspective, maybe. Um, and I love that uh, uh, it's like an in- inverse backbeat or something. Like if you think of the drums hitting on two and four, boom, chat, boom, boom, chat, boom, boom, boom. You know, the mm-hmm. bass line was going dun, 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 dun. like yeah, hitting all the notes three. except for yep. the bat beat, backbeat. And so it's yep. like where the space is, it's like you almost hear the backbeat, even though it's just a chip tune. Yeah, it's, well boots it's boots and cats. It's boots and cats. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you put the cat is just in your mind, man. That's uh, right. <laughs> um, but so that was a cool, that was just like F to, F to A minor. And the melody was just kind of floating around the third of each chord, I believe. Or the fifth, was it? No, it was yep. floating around the third. But getting that nice, like, B natural over an F major thing. Like, that's a really nice sound. So I think that lends the, that, that um, enforces the kind of more emotional, uh, the colorful sound, as opposed to the very, like, not rock and roll but you know that uh, yep. original section so what what is that from that's such a great tune i never heard it before well real real quick first of all pass with flying colors on the analysis <laughs> thank you, thank you. holy crap look at the man in his element live doing the work <laughs> i'm freaking out i love that you have your keyboard out um so um do you know of an rpg franchise it's called the saga series it's always capital s and capital g oh okay i've seen the name i've never played any of the games or anything but so there's it's a long series with usually as trilogies or duologies within mm-hmm. a specific system can you recognize based on the sound font do you know what what system that was on oh uh i assumed nes go, go a little a little more technically limited than nes it's missing one really? sound channel that nes has is it game boy it is it's game boy wow man yeah that's game boy that's awesome do you want to know who the composer is yes hit me it's nobuo oimatsu really ah this is one of his <laughs> earliest works i actually have the soundtrack signed by him it's like really? my favorite of his oh, yeah that's so, so the first three games in the saga franchise knowing that the name saga meant nothing to americans in 1990 mm. They called it Final Fantasy Legend 1, 2, and 3 on the Game Boy. Oh. 
So this is the final battle music for the first Final Fantasy Legend game. And uh, it remains, you know, 30 plus years later, one of my favorite pieces of music in video game music. And it's just, um, you've talked in multiple videos about how technical limitation pushes composers to do more with less. Mm. Um, which is a theme that you know we've also talked about a lot on our site and in our podcast, um, which I think is a really important thing for people to see. I think it's one of the things that early on differentiated video game music from other media score, that technical limitation forced creativity in different ways. And so I wanted to point out in, in the B section of the song, it's called Furious Battle, the final battle mm-hmm. music. In the B section, there's something happening. You got your main melody, you got your bass line, and then there's a second uh, audio track that's doing something very frenetic. And it's either in like 16th notes or 32nd notes, depending on how you want to break down things. Do you remember hearing that? Uh, I remember I remember the, the 16th note frenetic thing. I don't yeah. remember. Can I listen to it one more time? Sure. Pull it up for yourself. Okay. So there's a lot of arpeggiation, but sometimes yeah. it's not full arpeggiation. There's this thing where one of the two notes is always being repeated and the other one's changing. What's the term for that, sir? That is a pedal point. Yeah, and that is a (laughs) term that I, a pianist who's played uh, Toccata Fugue in D minor, did not know that term until you pointed out in the Castlevania video. And when you did... I thought to myself, that's the that's that thing I love in the B section <laughs> of Furious Battle, Amazing. which is why I picked the song, because you taught me that term. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> well, I'm glad. <laughs> it's a good it's a good turn. It's very, very uh Castlevania y, very I mean that's that's a very Bach thing to do. Yes. I guess if you're doing a uh you know, chiptune three individual voices, that lends itself well to a more contrapuntal approach. So why not rip off some Bach techniques, eh? Right. You're right. You're limited to you're limited to what you can harmonize. So instead of holding one note, let's very quickly play two notes and it sounds like right. I get to hold two notes. Yeah, it's exactly. Great. That's so awesome. Great. Man. People like I think I think Uematsu did so much great work post chiptune era that I think people forget how good of a chiptune composer he was. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Or yeah. he is. Like his his stuff, early Final Fantasy stuff, is so sick. Yeah, I was just listening to Final Fantasy three, which would have been his last chiptune compositional right. work, and like it's clear he had like he had like mastered the concept mm. of good chiptune music by that time. Like, there's so much good on FF three. Yeah, totally. That is probably like one of my favorite uh, underrated soundtracks. Final Fantasy three. Do you have a? Uh... Are you I ready do. to hit us with your pick? It's in email. I had to send a YouTube video, so try not to look, though. Okay. I'm not sure how familiar you might be. And I'm not going to have a great great story behind it, but it's a composer that was covered sometimes, but not extensively on the channel. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to listen to more of their work. It was kind of the idea. I see. I see. Okay. Okay. Should we? Are we going to count down and play it? Or? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Three, two, one, and go. Okay, it's a pretty chord. Oh, here a little Dorian. So I'm guessing just my instinct is to think that he's using a minor chord with the second in the chord, getting that rub between the flat third and the major second, that semitone rub. There's also definitely some using the raised sixth highlighted mm-hmm. or, uh, for a lighter kind of Dorian uh, mode sound. Mm-hmm. 
the melody isn't isn't scared to highlight that phrase six either. Pretty much staying on the on the minor tonic, eh? Man, this is so pretty. I like the melody starts on the tonic and just kind of walks down the scale in a decorated way. It's very, like, relaxing. It is. It's relaxing in an odd way. <laughs> okay, here we go. So this is a lot more classical. A lot less Dorian. So that's the raised 7th in the bass, so probably like a 7 diminished chord, I'm guessing. Really, it's going from the minor 1 to the dominant 5 to the minor 1. The dominant 5 could be like a... decorated in different ways, but... Oh! Yeah. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so we changed keys, I guess. Yep. Up to the, I'm guessing... The four is the new key. I yeah, it was a pretty dramatic change in that one, so that's kind of another reason I picked it. <laughs> yeah, this composer is known for doing really fast shift, unexpected modulation, among other yes. things. Yep, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Quite so much of it in this song. No, a lot of his battle themes he does. Though. Yes. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Okay, I'm gonna try and get this modulation this turn. He's on the two. Or he's on the one now. Oh, it doesn't do it again. Okay. <laughs> Man, that was pretty. What key is that in? A minor again. You guys love the A minor. We, I, I didn't even realize we picked two A minor songs. <laughs> it's good though. It's cool. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm guessing just from the context clues. Is this a Motoi Sakuraba tune? That is, is correct. Okay. Yep. I know. Yeah, I never heard this before or played this game or anything, but uh, v- very pretty. I like the the kind of setting up the vamp with the the choir and the and the harp with the. I think it was something like this, right? That's my guess, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, the, like I said before, minor chord with the second in it as well. Um, and so kind of just stayed on that chord with the different melodies coming in the. Or there's, what was the A section melody now? I can't remember it now. I remember it walked down. There was some Dorian noodling. Um, and then it moved into this kind of, uh, you know, minor one chord, dipped down to the raised seven. Jumping back and forth between the A minor, the one chord, and the E, 
E dominant five chord. That's a very classical sound because the, mm-hmm. the G sharp isn't naturally occurring in the minor scale, but it's frequently borrowed for a very um, strong, dark resolu- resolution. Um, and then the chord, uh, that, that chord, that, not chord, the uh, key change is killing me. That like yeah. that threw some curveballs. It was like uh, <laughs> I want to say it ended on the on the four, like the, it got to D minor, but I, I think I'm totally wrong about that. Yeah, I haven't I haven't actually checked to see what the jump is on that. Oh, it goes to an F diminished chord. <sighs> yeah. To go from A minor to F diminished, where you have that A flat. Oh man, so he does like a. Hold on here. He ends up in B minor. I was totally wrong. Yeah, yeah, it lands at a whole step up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Oh, interesting. So, okay, so this is what I got so far. So he goes to an F diminished, which is kind of a, you know, diminished chords are symmetrical. So it's kind of the same as like a, a G sharp diminished, like a raised seventh. You could resolve to A minor from that without too much problem, but the F in the bass is pretty jarring. And then goes back to A minor. And then we have this F sharp dominant that resolves to B minor. And that was like, whoa, where are we now? Because B minor is pretty different, <laughs> especially with the, you know. Uh, minor nine type sound but uh and so then i think the last whole last half was actually an e minor or it moved instead of a minor i thought it moved back to the original key but it hopped down to e minor man that's a wild that one huh cool. yeah that is it, a wild one <laughs> it's funny because it it to me it's always sounded a little more stable than it actually is um but I mean, that, it's it's like we were saying before, where he really he gives you a lot of time just on that A minor at the beginning. You know, like you're really yes. there is a stability to it because you you're so it takes a long time to get any kind of crazy uh, crazy movements or anything. True. So that is um, kind of one of the main tracks from uh, any guess like what era of yeah. Do you know what system oh. this was on? I'm just trying to guess from the the video. Uh, thumbnail here <laughs> like mm-hmm. probably like ps2 but close so originally it was a, a ps1 composition it's from valkyrie okay. profile um and the, the tune's called epic poem to sacred death <laughs> wow. it's like kind of one of the dramatic songs that plays mm-hmm. toward the beginning that explains all the uh yep you know <laughs> doesn't it yeah that, it explains kind of both exactly that color to it and the the sort of classical sound yeah true yeah sakuraba is you know he's he's something of a prog rock god Mm -hmm. uh so for his battle themes he you know he kind of goes nuts but then for the slower pieces he does push back to classical and even sort of a baroque sound um like he really likes synth choir and pipe organ Mm -hmm. um and he Mm -hmm. likes harp a lot as well um and so, like, he definitely has, like, among people who really like Sakuraba, like, he really sort of stays within his wheelhouse, especially for the Star Ocean and Valkyrie profile franchises. And he also does, like, half of the Tales of series, um, at least up until the year, like, 2010, I think. And, like, he's right, got, right. like, a defined sound. Totally. But then he gets, like, what he does with his sound is so very, like, it gets more and more intense over the years, I've found. But mm. a lot of people, I think, you and I included, Hillary, like, Valkyrie Profile 1 and 2, 
like remain like some of his best works. Mm, I would say so for sure. <laughs> yeah. And the, I think his slower songs come out better there than some of his other. Mm, yes. That's yep. what I love about this one. Like for him to hold that, just hold on one, just hold on a minor that long. Right. You feel like, all right, this song's not really going anywhere. So that when it does go somewhere, you're like, oh, yeah. and then when it goes somewhere unexpected, it's like, oh, oh, <laughs> like yeah, two yeah, layers totally. of oh. Really gets, yeah, man. I like, I love, um, he has some slow uh, uh, tunes on the Dark Souls soundtrack that are really yep. beautiful. Mm-hmm. And like, totally now you like, I can totally hear the, the similar kinds of sounds between this, this tune and like nameless song or, or uh, with those kinds of dark souls tunes, which I'm more familiar with. So uh, I'll have to check these soundtracks out. Yeah, please do. Um, I was actually just about to mention the souls franchise and that <laughs> did music for that as well. I read your mind. No. Yeah. Yes. Man, this is a fun game. I like the uh, yeah. really word. <laughs> well, may, well, maybe if you ever wanted to come back and be a repeat guest, we can we can pull out some even crazier pop quiz songs <laughs> for you someday, or sure or do thing. more of a standard episode and let you pick some music that you think fits the theme. Ooh. Ooh. Oh yeah, you can pop quiz us. See if we learned enough <laughs> from you and your channel. Oh, dear. Uh-oh. We're screwed, Hill. We're gonna I fail. F minus. No. F diminished. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> That's my music theory joke for the day. I'm done. Uh, beautiful. Well timed. Love it. <laughs> yeah, well, I feel like we gave, we covered a lot and we gave kind of like a basis for some different concepts to think about when we're listening to music on future rhythm episodes for listeners and us. Um, so that was awesome. Thank you so much again. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Yeah. Um, I'm going to move on to a little bit of housekeeping before we go. Um, so just a reminder, um, links to the music are going to be available in the show notes as usual, um, as well as links to all of 8-Bit's work and the album. So please remember to check out the, the show notes. And similarly, please, please remember to like rate all of that stuff on your favorite podcast listening tools um that really helps us and as far as upcoming episodes our next should be next one at this point is songs from the future so that's going to be covering rpg songs or soundtracks that have a sci-fi kind of futuristic feel um and then we have a, a console-based episode on the super nintendo coming up as well so that should be fun. Some more good listening. Um, and as far as contacting people on the panel, um, the best way to reach me, Hillary, is Discord. I'm EP Fire there. If you'd like to get in touch about the episode or any questions, um, where can people reach you, Pat? I'm on Twitter at Gameadactyl. It's like Pterodactyl, but game instead instead of P T E R. And what's the best way to reach you, Eight Bit? Uh, yeah, YouTube, Eight uh, Bit Music Theory. I have a Twitter that I rarely use, but you can find me there if you'd like at Eight Bit Music Theory. Uh, and that's basically it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, don't forget, if you want to support him, you can get in on his Patreon. That'd be a yes. good way to get if you want to get his ear directly. <laughs> true. True. <laughs> Uh, that's definitely the the most expensive way to get a hold of me, but uh, <laughs> or maybe not. You could drive a plane to my house, I guess. And I feel very spoiled now. I got to pick a song and and have you listen and 
comment on it <laughs> without being a member of the Patreon yet. It's true. Well, I hope it didn't. I hope my analysis didn't disappoint. Not at all. <laughs> all right. Well, any last questions, comments before we close out? Any last thoughts about kind of advice for just sitting down and talking about a song in general? Always be thinking about why it sounds the way it does and why it feels the way it does, and don't get lost in the notes of, of as far as. If you're looking at a bunch of notes, you might think, oh, there's an F here. That doesn't work with this chord. You might think really hard, draw some conclusions about using an F over a B minor chord or whatever. But then when you listen to the actual music, you might realize that you don't even notice that F note for whatever reason. So it's easy to get really deep in the weeds and forget uh, um, the experience of actually listening to the music that you're talking about. That's something that I had to learn and uh, and always try and keep in mind when I'm making videos. So that would be my advice. <laughs> Great insight. Yeah. Hey, uh, we, we always close out our show with a bonus track, and we love to let, Ooh. when we interview a guest, we love to let them pick a bonus track. Would you like us, because uh, I know I would like us to uh, pick one of the songs from your new album, or like a snippet closer. or preview, if you have something Ooh. like that available. If you don't, that's okay. Yeah, I can send you. You said this is coming out uh, after May twenty third, anyway. So uh, I can I can send a little sneak preview, no problem. Let's see. What should we What should we listen to though? Uh, what are you guys in the mood for? Slow, fast. Did Did you do Chibi Robo? I did do something for Chibi Robo. Okay, well, Damn I'll right, you did. You Let's do. Can we do Chibi Robo? Yeah, because I think we had, did. We cover Chibi Robo on the site. I can't remember. If you don't, if you know, um, it's a maiden's thoughts. It's the the chew dog chew toy worm Sophie who's in love with Drake Redcrest. It's her like theme. Oh uh, yeah, I remember that. The arrangement. It's a very like hectic harmonically bizarre tune that i think captures the 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 tempest that is a young woman's young chew toy's heart and love and i tried to (laughs) accentuate that uh wild uh wildness with the arrangement so there's it's it's kind of a weird one but it was really fun to play and really fun to write so hopefully people dig it very cool one thing i've got to share that i can't get out of my head um since like watching things on the channel is definitely Koji Kano's video game Mozart and Omatsu's video game Beethoven. I just, I can't unsee it. <laughs> yeah, right? I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is so very, very on point. Yep. Especially when you went back, the Hyrule, oh, gee, yeah, the Hyrule Castle. I was looking at just the phrasing and kind of the, the structure of it and mm. I was like, wow, yep. Yeah, that Hyrule yep. Castle video was really good. Oh, thank you. Video game That's Mozart. such a great tune. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's that comparison <laughs> just feels like it gets more and more true the more i listen to both of them <laughs> yep all right so what's the song title to this one again this one's called a maiden's thoughts all right so for our outro our bonus track we are hearing a maiden's thoughts arranged by 8-bit on the new album let's play let's go have a listen and thank you all for listening to this episode we hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you next time
Are you able to? Are you going to be able to play it over the audio feed, Hill? Um, or should we just have him download the song? I think maybe we should just give MP3s. I think that might work best. Oh no, my MP3 has gives away the name. You want me to rename it and send it? Rename it Song One. Song One. <laughs> and, and strip the ID3 tag. <laughs> 